On this episode of Mike Drop Dallas, we're talking women's final four, which of course comes to our fair city this weekend. We're joined by the legendary Donna Lopiano, a true champion of women's sports. Then we're going to hear from two reporters from Sports Business Journal on why Dallas was selected as the number one city in America to conduct sports business. All of that and more here on season three, episode five. Let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, everyone, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, along with Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul and our on-air producer, Next Level Marcus Carr. Monica, it's here. The Women's Final Four gets underway Friday at the American Airlines Center. We've got an unbelievable draw. We've got Iowa, led by the Electric Player of the Year, Caitlin Clark. All she did was post the first... 40-point triple-double in tournament history. And I'm not talking women's tournament. I'm talking women and men. So we've got Caitlin Clark, the player of the year. We've got LSU, number one seeds, Virginia Tech, and undefeated South Carolina, who rolls in at 36-0. and Monica, before we get to the action on the court, when these big events that you and your team bring to Dallas arrive here, I always like to hear your reflections on how you're feeling about things, what, is, what, do you, what this means to you and your team. Well, Sully, uh, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, you know, this is something that after we hosted in 2017, we went directly into a bid process, uh, which typically takes about a year and a half on the NCAA big events. Uh, so the fact that uh, we were awarded 2023 um, and, you know, we were a sellout in 2017, it was electric in the American Airlines Center. So it's uh, about how do we kind of raise the bar now? So, um with the, the slate of teams and not only division one teams, but we also have to uh, mention that we're welcoming four other teams, two from the division two championships and two for the division three championships. So uh, it's, it's going to be really special. Um, and the fact that you going into it, this will be the culmination of the 50th year anniversary of title nine. So really celebrating women's sports, uh, women's basketball. It's been phenomenal to see the growth in women's basketball uh, from 2017 and just the excitement around it. Uh, you know, the n- number of people who are are tuning in will be able to watch this on, on ABC uh, for the first time. Uh, the, the ancillary events and the additional events that have been added, uh, uh, AT&T Discovery District, it will be hosting a Title IX exhibit. Uh, really, really special. I've had a chance to go over and see it. I hope everyone who is uh, coming to town uh, kind of has the opportunity to go by. Um, great partnership with the NCAA, AT&T, Getty Images to make that uh, a success. But then, you know, also for those who don't have a ticket for a Division One championship, definitely tickets are available for Division Two and Three championships, as well as the free ancillary events with the bounce uh, at, that'll be Saturday at City Hall, but then also Turney Town that'll take place at the Convention Center from Thursday to Sunday. So, it's it's um, you know a lot of work uh, actually that goes into these behind the scenes. This is something that while we were awarded in 2018, 
uh, we've been working on with the NCAA and our partners at the Big 12 Conference and American Airlines Center staff and our other host institutions for a good year and a half to two years to to have this week, um, you know, upon us. So uh, we're just looking forward. We welcomed one team last night at the for a team arrival. Have a, a few more coming in, and uh, just excited to welcome them. Hope hopefully they'll have a fantastic student athlete experience. Um, enjoy this, you know, time as well as the spectators that'll be coming in and the fans, and really want them to say, "Oh, wow, Dallas is a fantastic place to." to one host of major sporting events since that is a big main goal of ours but then also hey we'd like to come back and, and visit at another time too and how about the economic impact across the region this is another big event yes uh so with the combination championship we're anticipating over 35 million dollars in economic impact from from this and i you know it's just been amazing to see the changes in the um number of people who want tickets. I'm getting a lot of questions actually uh, about are these ticket prices for real? And I guess on the secondary market, uh, you know, there are tickets out there that uh, are going way above what uh, uh, previously in a women's final four uh, may have done. So um, excited to welcome teams. Now I just need to cross my fingers that mother nature will give us some good weather. I, I see some thunderstorms coming uh, later in the week. So if, if she could let them, uh, you know, skate by and maybe Monday have some rain that would be helpful Monica let's go to Marcus for a prediction now we we had we did brackets through uh, Tony Fay PR and Marcus is feeling pretty good Marcus what's your prediction for this weekend you know we, we just you just touched on, on Caitlin Clark and you know what an absolute absolute performance she's she's had this whole whole March Madness tournament so I'm actually going to flip on my bracket here. Uh, this is my drop breaking news here. I do still think it'll be South Carolina, Iowa, but I I, I do think the razzle dazzle from Caitlin Clark is going to be too much for for South Carolina. So I think Iowa is going to I was going to um, let the confetti fall at AAC come Sunday. Well, we'll see. I have Iowa as well. Uh, I I picked three of the four. I didn't get LSU. Uh, but uh, I had three of the four. Jonathan Deutsch looking pretty good atop the Tony Faye PR bracket, uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. I, 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 Monica, I don't know. Are you allowed to make a prediction? You're, you have no, to. We don't, we don't, no, we don't talk about brackets here at the Sports <laughs> Commission. We actually, when we're re, when we are hosting, we don't do brackets. So, yes. um, smart. Yep, uh, I get it. Well, it's an exciting weekend, as Monica said. Not just the games, but but. Three events around town. The, the bounce at City Hall on Saturday. Turney Town is the fan fest uh, at the convention center. So check all of those things out. Another great event uh, brought here in part by the Dallas Sports Commission with their great partners and, and team. Just a quick uh, best wishes to our friends over at the Rangers. John Blake, Chris Young, friends of, uh, of the mic drop. The Rangers is getting underway this week. Lots of optimism and anticipation for the season. First year under New manager Bruce Bochy, lots of new players. The pitchers, the Graham and Avaldi and others looked good during spring training. So let's uh, keep our fingers crossed for good health and excited about the Rangers. So back in a moment to talk women's final four with Donna Lopiano. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The NCAA Women's Final Four is coming back to Dallas March 31st through April 2nd at the American Airlines Center. Don't miss the electric atmosphere and witness the pinnacle of women's basketball. 
Learn more at NCAA.com slash women's final four. We'll see you there. What a privilege to be joined here on the mic drop by Dr. Donna Lopiano. For some of you in our audience know, know Dr. Lopiano from her years at UT. She was the first director of women's athletics at UT. Monica is particularly excited about that, Donna. She was there from 1975 to 1992. During that time, the women's teams at Texas won 18 national championships in six different sports, 395 All-Americans, dozens of them Olympians and world champions. Then Donna moved to the to the leadership of the Women's Sports Foundation, where she had an enormous impact from 1992 to 2007, driving equity in women's sports. Uh, April 29th, she enters the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. She was an incredible athlete in her own right in softball and other sports, has coached a bunch of sports. We're going to get into her her journey. But first, uh, Donna, welcome to the mic drop. We really appreciate the time. Hey, thanks very much for having me. You grew up in Connecticut dreaming of playing for the New York Yankees. Absolutely. There was only one little hitch is they wouldn't let you play on your <laughs> on your local little league team, even though you may have been the best player. Uh, tell us about that. Did that ignite your drive towards improving equity for for girls and 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 women in sports? Totally. I was drafted number one in the Mickey Leone Little League. And on the day we were drafted, we were lined up to get our uniforms. And I don't know if you remember how important your first uniform was. Oh, big but time. It was really important. And I thought it was an omen because the colors of my team were that black, navy, blue, Yankee, uh, blue, right? Right. And our our shirts were pinstripe, right? And I said, this is it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting. This is the rite of passage. And um, I was lined up trying to figure out my head size because you didn't have hats with plastic on the back, adjustable. You had to know your head head size. And this very tall father came to stand behind uh, beside me with a Little League rule book. And on page 14 in the center of the, the page were four words that would change my life forever. And that was no girls were allowed. Uh, it wasn't until 1973 that Little League opened to girls, which was well after you know my time. So then so then what happened? You uh, so you... I. I I cried for three months. My parents were beside themselves. They hunted for a corporate league that I could play in. Um, there was softball for girls, but you had to be working age. You had to be 16 to play. And the Little League trip was, I was 10 or 11, right? Um, but when I turned 16, my father invited one of his army buddies uh, to my dad's, res- my mother's and father's restaurant fed him a bottle of Chianti, and uh, he agreed to take me sight unseen, To and he was a scout for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, his best friend was the coach of the national championship, Ray Bestis Braycats softball team. That was just 30 miles up the road, and he agreed to take me to a tryout. He was half drunk when he did it, right? <laughs> um, and, and so I went to the tryout. I turned out to be really good. Um, and, he, and he claims to have discovered me. Uh, he's, he's deceased now, but uh, I said, yeah, Sal, he discovered me in the bottom of a bottle of Chianti. Right? Well, I know you you ended up traveling the world with the breakouts for, for many years. And I read one stat that said you averaged, as a pitcher, you averaged two strikeouts per inning. 
which uh, is is just just uh, remarkable. Okay, let's get to the to the final four. What do you think when you you reflect back on those days when you know there were so so the opportunities for girls were so limited, and now we have the women's final four. Uh, as Monica pointed out in our intro on ABC for the first time, sold out. The secondary ticket market is blowing up. Uh, you know, all the excitement that's happening around it. It's now called March Madness, thankfully, for the second year. What what do you what do you think about this weekend and how far we've come? I thank God that, you know, two years ago, we had a viral sensation showing the difference between men's and women's final fours. And the public finally was aware that these were two very differently treated championships. The NCAA was embarrassed to death. They had to do uh, an outside independent study that, lo and behold, discovered that the NCAA had offered the women's championship for zero media rights fees. And it was probably worth $100 million. And that's, that's what it takes for social change. If you have the hierarchy of, of men's sport in the NCA at the institutional level that is still 80% male, that still values football and basketball over all other sports for men, and you have institutions that are not giving women equal publicity, equal promotion, equal investment at the institutional or the, the governance body level, then you stop dead no matter what Title IX says. And we're beginning to see now um, how much women are losing in that. Because in this name, image, likeness era, if you haven't enabled women to develop their brands, in the same way as the brand of a football player who's on television every Saturday or basketball player on twice a week, they're worth less in the marketplace. So the first generation saw participation opportunities, equal treatment now is, is going to be the next 10 or 15 years. What, you know, speaking of title nine, and of course, I know uh, with the father of three girls, all of who played multiple sports, two in college, I'm grateful to your efforts and advocacy, you know, way before they were they were even you know born, uh, all the important things that have happened and what you're talking about with the, you know, the WNBA, a big celebration for 25 years, all the progress now coming in 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 the Final Four, but where we still have a long way to go. What what is next? Like what is yet to be to be accomplished? You have to remember that Title IX was a father led movement. Even when you realize what happened in Congress, right? Congress, there were, were women in Congress. It was dad who stepped up to the plate and created a law for his daughter. And you're the second generation of fathers who think, wow, I can go outside and teach my daughter how to throw. Or I have something in common with her. It's not makeup and it's not dolls and it's not having babies. Um, Title IX changed the relationship between parents. And the reason why it was successful is that all parents know what sport means for kids, male or female, and they don't want their sons and daughters treated equally. And that's why Title IX has stayed. But the schools have been Johnny come lately. So when you look at high school sport, for instance, 3.4 million girls now play high school sports. In 1972, it was about 290,000, if wow. you can believe that, right? But the number of boys who played in 1972 was 3.8 million. So girls still haven't gotten to the level of boys and boys sport 
has grown to over 4.4 million. So what do you know from that? You know that Title IX hasn't hurt men's sports. It's a figment of somebody's imagination when a wrestling team gets dropped that the money is going to women. Money's going to football or basketball arms race. Everybody knows that, right? So we're looking at women still being shortchanged by about 900,000 opportunities at the high school level, by about 200,000 opportunities at at the college level, Women are shortchanged about a billion dollars a year in athletic scholarships. We spend twice as much money recruiting uh, men as we do women at the college level. So there's a ton um, of a way to go, especially when you realize that the media is still, when you look at print, electronic, I I think we're at 4% of all sport media uh, in terms of women's sports. So uh, long way to go still. Grateful for how far we've come, but a long way to go. And and the answer is you, as a father, has to keep have to keep insisting on equal treatment of your daughters once she gets to college. Same publicity, same promotion. Why aren't we taking the media rights fees from men's football and buying time for women, buying production for women? That's what Title IX would require, but nobody's there yet. Uh, so we have to get to that place. And hopefully a, a younger generation of administrators is going to um, help do that. But we're, we still are closed shop in terms of the number of, of women who are making decisions. It's still 80 uh, percent male in the AD population. Well, Dr. Lopiano, I can't tell you how excited I am uh, when I saw you were going to be our guest. I just missed you at the University of Texas. and I got there in 94. I actually had the privilege to work uh, with the volleyball program with Mick Haley and Glenn Litsky. So um, I'm very, very excited as a, as a UT alum to, to see you here. And thank you for everything you did for not only UT, but uh, just women in sports in general. So Um, But let's circle back to during your time at UT, you changed the game completely for intercollegiate women's athletics. So what were kind of the keys to getting that going and achieving so much success? We were an accident of history. We were such an accident of history as I look back right now. Um, The middle, what Title IX did is it forced all men's and women's athletics uh, programs to combine under the male athletic director who did not value women. There were only nine schools in the country that kept men's and women's um, athletic administration separate. Texas was one of them. Tennessee was one of them. Mm. Iowa was one of them. And it was all of the successfully uh, separate administrations where they didn't come second to football. Women's sports did not come second to basketball. And here the the women AD was just totally concentrated on how do I grow women's sports? And that's what Texas did. And we were the first ones to do it, to start booster clubs for women, to replicate the success formulas for men. You hire the best coach. You support them in terms of recruiting money. You promote you develop your fan base, you have a booster club, you you have relationship building. And guess what? Your power grows, your economic power grows, as well as your power of influence. And pretty soon, you know, the governor is sitting at the scorer's table, along with, uh, you know, Barbara Jordan. 
or and the president because the president doesn't want you talking to the government, uh, the governor without it, right? <laughs> so, so your your power increases um, exponentially, and that was the fun of the time. Um, but but it was an accident of history because I wouldn't have gotten higher if the first woman president uh, of Texas mm-hmm. wasn't hired. Um, so it it really was a, a domino effect of, of accidents of history. Well, so I hear early in your time in Austin, I, I have to see here if this is true, that you voted against an amendment to Title IX that would hit, have exempted football. I'm sure that had to be very popular. I actually, I actually went to Congress to testify against the Tower Amendment. In the first two weeks, I was on campus. Oh wow! And I, you would say, "Are you stupid?" Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Who, so phone rings. I'm about to leave for Washington, right? And there's another woman on the line who said, "Who's sent my name?" This is Laureen, Donna. I'm thinking, Laureen. Laureen. Who do I know? Laureen Rogers, the president of the University of Texas. And I said, "Dr. Rogers, I'm so excited. You know, we're." Jumping into women's athletics, she said, that's not why I called. I called so that you don't get fired. Oh. And she, I said, that would be good. And the light bulb went off, right? I said, oh, testifying before Congress. She said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do to keep your job. Number one, you're, you're going to have a courtesy meeting with John Tower. She said, do you know who he is? I said, absolutely. He's the senator from the state of Texas. And she said, do you know he's best friends with the chair of the Board of Regents at the University of Texas? And I said, no, I know that. And so I had to have a courtesy meeting with Tower. And my first words to John Tower were, I am not representing the views of the University of Texas at Austin. I am an independent consultant um, testifying with my ex- because of my expertise on athletics. And she said, I want you to do the same thing when you stand up and give your oral te- uh, testimony. And the first page of your written testimony better have that on it, too. Well, I said, thanks. I, I said, are you telling me it would be better if I didn't go? She said, no, no, no. Have a good time. <laughs> uh, well, the whole thing was an accident of history when you think about it. Well, that, that's fantastic. For first two weeks, didn't get fired. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good testament there. You're like, woo, long road to pave. Um, when did you kind of just sit back and feel like you had turned the corner and getting women's athletics the prominence it deserves, at least at that time? I can only remember one moment that just one moment that that was a distilled feeling. And that was the first time we sold out uh, Irwin Center. That I was standing at the gate, uh, you know, behind the backboard, uh, you know, where the teams come come out, whatever. And I was standing there with, with Jody and um, our events person, Lynn Wheeler, uh, was on the walkie-talkie. And, and she said, you can't start the game. We have lines out here. Uh, and, and I think we're sold out. <laughs> and I just looked at, at, at Jody and I said, You're pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. But that was the moment that, you know, you don't even think about it when you're working on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we mentioned that you're going into the Women's College Basketball Hall of Fame uh, on April 29th in, in Knoxville, I believe, right? And uh, this that, will that be... That was easy. That was easy to get into, Kevin. 
Well, you've been in four. This is this is. Do I have it right? This is your fourteenth Hall of Fame, I think. But this is the only one you, I didn't have to play to get into, right? I just had to hire Jody. Right. <laughs> you just had to hire a coach that that one. I I give him the business all the time, saying, "Is that all you have to do to get in this one?" <laughs> well, congratulations on that. What is for someone you know? And you've been on so many most influential lists. You've accomplished so much. You've made such a an impact as a as a true pioneer. What does this one mean mean to you? Uh, that that'll happen on April 29th. Uh, you know, as a person, I've never looked back at what's happened to where you've been, you know, in the past. It, there's always something new to do. I'm on the case of the NCA now. And I'm working with Congress. I never look back. So it's, you know, the various honors remind you of what you did. And uh, I, I'm just surprised how much I've forgotten, you know, that we've done. Um, and and so it, it was great fun, for instance, to work with Chip Reeves, uh, Reeves who did Giant Killers uh, for the Longhorn Network. And he he showed me stuff, I had, uh, some stuff I had never seen. So um, it, it's really a special time where you very seldom get a chance to see yourself in history and the 50th anniversary of Title IX, that happened across the country. But it took 50 years for people to be motivated to bring back their classes of female athletes, to give letters to women who were pre-Title IX era, um, you know, to start looking at them as potential donors with power and respecting them. Um, and so it was in many ways, it, it was a continuation of you know, how much you've wrought over time. Um, so re very rewarding in that respect. Well, what a, what a, what a treat it's been to, uh, to have you on, on a mic drop. Congratulations on all your success and, and I'm going into to yet another hall of fame, well-deserved and hard earned uh, for all of them, because Monica, and I both know you did more than just hire Jody Conrad, but, but <laughs> that was a good, a good decision. It was higher. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here uh, and, and appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Nice meeting you, Monica. Take care. Take care, Donna. What a what a what a treat. And we'll be back in just a moment with Derek Moss and David Broughton from the Sports Business Journal to talk about why Dallas was voted the number one city in America to do to conduct sports business. First, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The NCAA Women's Final Four is coming back to Dallas March 31st through April 2nd at the American Airlines Center. Don't miss the electric atmosphere and witness the pinnacle of women's basketball. Learn more at NCAA.com slash Women's Final Four. We'll see you there. And now we're going to shift gears. The Sports Business Journal is the definitive publication of record when it comes to sports business. We are pleased to be joined here on Mike Drop Dallas by the researchers and authors of last week's cover story for your YouTube video, uh, for your YouTube viewers, here it is. Uh, last week's cover story proclaiming Dallas after exhaustive research and study to be the number one city in America for sports business. Dallas number one, here's the rest of your top 10, New York, Charlotte, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Vegas, Nashville, Chicago and Phoenix, that's your top 10 with Dallas 
Number one, Monica San Antonio came in at number 27 and Houston 29. I imagine Derek and David got a little hate mail on some of these uh some of these uh placements. Uh David Broughton is with us. He's been with the SBJ for 24 years. He's the director of research. And Derek Moss, almost 15 years. He's a senior market analyst. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas. Thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. So, David, let's start with you. First, describe, you evaluated so many factors. Describe the process for you. What all did you and Derek evaluate to, to, to uh, do this study? Sure. Well, first, I need to make a quick correction. Today is day one of my 25th season here at SBJ. <laughs> all right. So the 24th season is behind me. And uh, well, yes, yeah, congratulations. So up, thank you. To wrap up the 24th season, yeah, Derek and I went through uh, almost half a million data points. We tracked uh, attendance and in uh, in every major league, minor league, and Division One college uh, athletic program in 377 markets in the in the U.S. And we tracked it for five years. We looked at every facility that has been built or, or renovated. We looked at all the sponsor rosters in all uh, in each one of those markets, uh, voter referendums. We we just really we we threw out a really big net and said, what what do we think is is uh, makes a, a great sports business city? And those were just some of the metrics uh, that that we use. I'll, I'll let Derek talk about some of the the Sports Business Journal Atlas stuff that that we pulled in there uh, as part of the methodology too. Well, Derek, the first uh, go ahead, Derek. Well, I was just going to say that uh, you can kind of put the research into three buckets. So the first bucket would be kind of the size of, we call it the opportunity, the size of the opportunity. That's how many sports properties, uh, top tier brand sponsors, agencies, uh, vendors who specialize in sports. It's really how big is the market. And we were able to use SBJ Atlas data for a lot of that because that's what that is, is an industry mapping tool. So it would segment out okay, tell me in the Dallas, and it is sort of the market. So it includes Arlington, Fort Worth, Frisco, uh, all the suburbs. So we use the census data, how the census describes a market is what we went by. And so the first bucket is just what we call opportunity. That's physically how big is the market. The second bucket is a little more qualitative and gets at what David was talking about, you know, public-private partnerships, uh, the regulatory environment, cost of living. So think about if I'm an agency and I want to open up a satellite office somewhere, you know, can I pay my employees a wage that enables them to buy a house in the market? That's a big issue for folks. So that's more of a qualitative bucket of data. And in that third would be just interviews with industry executives. So we went out and talked to about 100 high ranking uh, industry executives across all parts of the industry we gave them anonymity because we wanted them to be brutally honest with us, and they definitely were. And so we then graded all those conversations on a sentiment basis, either a positive or negative sentiment. Uh, I can tell you Dallas did really well in the first bucket, although not as big as New York. I mean, New York and L.A. still have the bigger markets. Uh, Dallas excelled with facilities. I think David can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Dallas, we rated number one for facilities across the country. Yeah. And then the third bucket was, uh, you know, executive sentiment. And Dallas also graded out really highly there. So they were the city that really did really well in all three of those categories. And that's really what led them to be number one. Derek, one one thing in the, the first sentence of the story, and you, you wrote the sidebar story on Dallas. 
And the first sentence reads, in the end, the data, the industry, and even rival markets agree Dallas is clearly the star. Tell us a little bit more about those rival markets and, uh, you know, sort of those anecdotal conversations that, given anonymity, it sounds like some of the other big city players were also pointing to Dallas. That must have made a difference, too. It does. And we were um, a little bit, you know, we talked to all these folks as we were compiling the data. But then after we had our rankings complete and we had a list, we went back to some of those executives just to kind of sanity check our work. And while some people were surprised that maybe Chicago is at nine or that, you know, some cities, well, we may have a problem with this. We really didn't get any pushback about Dallas being number one. Uh, We thought we would because people have an assumption that would be New York or L.A. just because they're still the two biggest markets. But when we talked to executives, they were not surprised that Dallas was number one. I think that all the new construction, um, there are a lot of things that go into this. But if you think about big picture, the move away from places like L.A. and San Francisco to markets like Dallas and Phoenix and Nashville, uh, that really showed up in our data. Uh, and so when you look at the number of brands that have moved to Dallas, the number of agencies that are in town as compared to what it was maybe even 10, 15 years ago, um, there's just a lot of things going on in Dallas and it's now a destination and that market is getting bigger as opposed to maybe on the coast, those markets getting a little bit smaller. Now, David, Monica would never say this, you know, she always gives credit. Of course, the Dallas Sports Commission under her leadership brings so many events here of all sizes and shapes that contribute to this vibe here. And one of the points Monica always makes is the, you know, the corporate support here, the business community support, which means a lot of things, not just money, but volunteers and other things. I noticed in the study, you you said that Dallas has 64 major brands based here uh, that have deals with all four of the, of the major sports you know, the sponsorship deals. And, and that is second, that's third to, to New York and LA. Right. Uh, you know, that has to, that, that business community and all the corporate headquarters here combined with the leadership of the sports commission. I know, and you know, obviously FIFA recognized it with awarding uh, uh, Dallas and the region, a uh, world cup in 2026. But what about the, the business, the role of the business community? Well, you know, for, for, for our industry, you, you want to be able to come into a town and it's not just enough to come in and meet with the Cowboys and the stars and maybe uh, rent a car for the day and go, uh, go check out the Rough Riders too. I mean, you want to be able to go in and just package together. You want to meet with, uh, with active, engaged, uh, blue chip sponsors uh, who aren't just involved just in, in, in that market. But I mean, you, you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, brands in the market and architects that are opening up shops there and other other folks that have headquarters there that have a national sports footprint so to, to go into dallas yes obviously you're going to see great venues and 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 great uh team properties but but it's also important to meet with the the downstream with with the those those teams brand sponsors um so i mean it's, it's really you're you're flying into a uh, a great cross-section of America when you're, when you're seeing all those other sports properties. 
So you did a fantastic job in the methodology, the valuation, and uh, you brought up some good points. But what is uh, a few things that really surprised you, I guess, of uh, of the data that you did uh, comb through? You mean in Dallas or just in general? Um, well, both. Well, there were there were some markets that that uh, surprised surprised us for sure. Uh, Derek mentioned uh, initially, everyone internally said, "Well, New York and LA are going to be number one and number two, and there's no way we can there's there's no methodology that's going to uh, dispute that." Um, you know, you, you fish where the fish are, but uh, so it, it really, really, really early on uh, in the data, Dallas jumped up. And then what uh, what really helped when we started talking to those hundred executives uh, was Charlotte and then Minneapolis, St. Paul. Just the ease of of getting in and out of town, uh, the consolidation of, of the footprint. Again, you can come in and do a lot of business with a lot of teams and a lot of brands and get out. And uh, and just the friendliness. I mean, Minneapolis, St. Paul just over indexed from day one in terms of of, of dealing with uh, the the local governments lack of unions the, and all the teams work together too. So you could go, go in and have, uh, have an effective three or four day stop in town and get a lot of work done. So th- those markets, those were surprising. And, uh, and then just the, the cost of cost of living we expected, but we really heard over and over and over the cost of coming in to do business, hotel rates, paying the unions, uh, just all the per diem data was, uh, was something that uh, it was more, of an influence than we expected. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you that uh, one of the number one questions that I've received over the last week is, okay, Monica, you're number one now. How often are they going to do this? And uh, what do we need to do to ensure that we stay number one? So I need your advice here, guys. I need some uh, insider knowledge of uh, how often are you going to do this? And uh, if you had to give me two to three pointers, uh, what what would it be that I need to focus on? No, this is it. We're only doing it the one time and we're going to we're going to put this in gold and uh, that's it. That's going to be the only one we do. Yeah, we're we got a lot of gray hairs over this one. Well, if you if you notice in that scoring, because we put the overall score in that report as well for the top ten cities, uh, you'll see that New York and Dallas have a little bit of separation over the rest of the field. So if you look at New York and Dallas, uh, they kind of are a head and shoulders even one and two in the country. Then there's a little bit of grouping between say Charlotte and Los Angeles there. And then you have another group sort of in the bottom half of that 10. Uh, so you can kind of see where if we were to do this a year or two from now, um, there might be a little movement. And I'll tell you the things that move the needle, specific to Dallas as well, um, are all the businesses and sports properties moving into Dallas from other places. So the PGA of America moving from Florida uh, into the Dallas market and building that big campus certainly was factored into this. Uh, the PBR coming from Vegas to Fort Worth and Dickey's Arena, that's a big deal. Uh, even the ATP Tour had an event in New York that moved to Dallas in 2021. So those type of things actually count uh, for a lot in our uh, in our algorithm. Uh, and then you look at even the brand side, Top Golf moving in from Chicago, AECOM, which is a really big sports uh, civil engineering company and general contractor, Toyota, McLaren. 
Uh, even brands like Smoothie King, you don't think about it. They moved from New Orleans. Smoothie King has a lot of sponsorship deals, especially in the NBA. Uh, and they moved to Dallas in the last few years. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say that really put Dallas over the top is we can talk a lot about all the pro sports in Dallas, but maybe next to Atlanta, Dallas is probably uh, as big a hub for college uh, sports as there is. Uh, we saw in the latest round of bidding for NCAA championships, uh, Dallas won 15 of those, which is by far more than any other city in our survey. And then you have all the schools, you have the bowl games, and you have the conferences that are headquartered in Dallas, including the American Athletic Conference, which just moved in uh, the last couple of years. So um, if you just look at the movement away from the coast into cities like Dallas and some of the other Sunbelt cities, uh, that was one of the things that stood out to me. Another thing, uh, independent of what we're talking about here with Dallas, but it's kind of in the data you can see in the Midwest, it's possible Minneapolis is making big gains over Chicago as kind of being that hub of sports in the Midwest. Uh, great facilities, great people in Minneapolis, and a lot of good public-private partnership. So, you know, things change over time. And what was number one 20 years ago uh, would not be number one today. We would not have had, if we'd have done this 10 years ago, Las Vegas would maybe have made the top 50. But just in the last five years, Las Vegas has become uh, a really great sports business mecca. So things change. And so well, we'll be doing this again. Uh, what can you do to stay on top is keep luring these sports properties to Dallas. And I think that uh, that's a process that's well underway and it just needs to continue. Well, Darren. I'm going to combine two, two, two uh, questions you had one uh, um, you know, what, what we're surprised, what surprised us and two, what do we do to stay on top? One of the things that has surprised me in the past week. Uh, yes, we've heard from everybody and I mean, everybody in the industry and I mean, everybody, <laughs> uh, including a lot of people in your home state. Um, and what surprised me was not that we heard from a lot of people, uh, good and bad, but that we have heard so many people ask the question, okay, yes, Dallas, we, we admire Dallas. What do we need to do? I mean, we're, we're journalists. We're not, uh, we're, we're not consultants. So when people are calling us saying, this is great. How do I move from number 27 to top 10? And, and so that's, um, and, and, and you know, Derek just outlined a whole bunch of things. Uh, you, you've just got to, your market has to work together and uh, keep attracting events, update your venues. Um, so that the, the, all the, all the obvious stuff is apparently not that obvious. Well, How was that? I'm a pretty competitive person. So, uh, you know, it is a, it, it, there will be no way that we can fall short of uh, number one again. So as long as I know my timing piece, it's not going to be next year that you're going to come out with this, that I've got a few years to put my plan in motion and get a, you know, I, I can handle that. I can handle that. Well, you know, the next time the you things, do it, go ahead, Derek. Well, I was just going to say real quickly, one of the things we want to do with this is take small slivers of the data and break them out in separate uh, little presentations. So for example, you know, we can say, what are the best cities for soccer in the United States? So, you know, it's possible Dallas is not going to be the number one city for soccer, but a city like Columbus, Ohio, which wouldn't make the top 25 in our broad uh, survey. Well, Columbus is a great market for soccer. So, you know, if you, we can slice and dice this data in a lot of different ways to look at, 
you know, how we can rank cities by sport or by region. Or I think one of the things we're talking about doing next is looking at, you know, what percentage of your population attends a sporting event over the course of the year and rank cities by that. That would be another metric. So, you know, what you've seen so far is the big set of macro data, mm -hmm. but I think over time we'll be able to chop this down into smaller bits and it'll look a little differently every time. And the next time you, you do this, and I hope you do take a couple of years off so Monica gets a little little rest, but uh, you will have a, you will have data on PGA Frisco. You mentioned the PGA of America moving here, and it's going to be extraordinary, including the entertainment district and the, the right. non-hardcore golf stuff. So that'll be big. But I, I wanted to make one. You guys can't make an editorial comment, but I, I was on a plane flying back to Dallas a couple of weeks ago, and the guy sitting in front of me, I overheard telling someone, I just moved to Dallas. And he said, you know, it's great, but, you know, there's really nothing to do. Because there's no, there's no, he said, he said, there's no, there's no mountains, there's no ocean. And, and he is going to learn what everybody, I moved here in 1980. I left uh, after 20 years or 15 years, came back to Dallas. What everybody who moved here from somewhere else learns is Dallas's superpower. Its secret sauce is the people combined with the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, that can do entrepreneurial mojo that we have here. It's why the Brimer bill, the most recent referendum to, to renovate the facilities, sports and otherwise at Fair Park passed by a monster margin. Monica had a little, maybe something to do with that too. Uh, it's, it's why all these facilities have been built. You know, people were always looking forward here and always willing to take a little risk to go for the, for the big prize. And um, so you know, I really think the people is is the difference maker that contributes to all those categories. Now, you're a, you're you, you know, I asked about hate mail that you got or, or complaints from other cities, but it is not a subjective exercise. You backed it up so much with metrics. But was there one city or another that complained the most about where they were where they ranked to you? To you too? Sully, Sully, <laughs> don't put them on the spot like that. You know. <laughs> No, you gave me this all right, all right. Houston numbers earlier, and I haven't heard from them. But I'll see them later on this week <laughs> in uh, well, in Houston for the men's final four. So I'm, I may ask them how they're feeling. Oh, I know how they're feeling. Okay. Uh, we, I had to do a a little report comparing Dallas and Houston for folks. Um, it wasn't that close, and I'm not trying to brag on one or another. I'm just looking at what the data tells us. You know, look at those NCAA championships. Houston and Dallas both bid on all those. Dallas got 15 of them. Houston got three. Now, they did get Final Four. That's a big one. Uh, but, you know, Houston has a big footprint. But if you look at the agencies and the corporate sponsors and the vendors, Dallas has a broader array of different types of sports businesses. Um, so, really – wasn't that close. I mean, look at, if you look at colleges, the three corp, uh, conference headquarters that are in Dallas, Houston doesn't have any. Uh, it just, it's not that Houston's not a good sports business town. And let's also make a distinction here. We're talking about a sports business city, yeah. not a, this is not indicative of the fans. This is not mm -hmm. indicative of wins and losses on the field. You know, if we were to say what's the best sports city, well, Dallas would come in pretty high, too. But, I mean, Chicago would probably rank higher than where they are. Boston would certainly rank a lot higher than where they are. So we're looking at sports business and the people who work in the industry. 
So that's something we've had to kind of clarify with people. We're not making any kind of harsh indictment of your fans. <laughs> this is just looking at the size and scope and effectiveness of the sports business industry in your city. Well, this has been this has been fascinating and and exciting for us to hear, but we really admire the amount of effort and the energy and the care that you clearly both put into this. So job well done. Uh, I would say that even if Dallas didn't come out on top, this is really a, an impressive undertaking. So uh, thank you for, for that. And, and thanks for being with us uh, today here on the mic drop. Thank well, you thanks for having us. You guys have and a good week. All right. Monica, as as you, with- Monica are you going to be in Kansas city for uh, sports ETA? Um, possible it it depends on some some timing okay uh dallas does have deep ellum brewing yes we do nice uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan <laughs> okay well i know what to bring you then that's well, right we, we noticed even in the lead of the story david inserted his love of craft beer i noticed that we picked up our in parentheses craft beers and yeah. uh, that was but, not a coincidence <laughs> yeah well that's that's that that's good we love a little product placement here uh on, on the mic drop uh, thanks again to Derek Moss and David Broughton of Sports Business Journal for joining us. Uh, also, thanks to Donna Lopiano for being here with us this week. On behalf of Monica, uh, thanks to the Mic Drop production team, Daniel Piscura, Jason Kurtz of Tony Fay PR. Thanks to Rennet Vocal Media, of course, the great next level Marcus Carr, our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.